Welcome to the Sysadmin Show, the podcast that explains everything sysadmins do and the technology they work with. I'm your host, Dustin Rebrook, here to give a jumpstart to your IT career. Today's show is episode number 53, IT without a degree, your first IT job. Well, hey there. Thanks for joining me. And before we get into the main topic for today, as typical, I'm going to have a few follow-up items, starting with my home lab. Um, As I discussed in the last episode or two, I recently upgraded my home lab to a couple of DL380P servers, and these are Gen 8s. And I really like the the HP servers. It's what I work with um, and have worked with most of my professional life. So I'm just kind of comfortable with them. I know the Dells are very popular in home labs, but I've just never had that much experience with them. I ended up buying two of them and only planning on using one, and that did not last. So I now have both up and running in a VMware cluster. I actually got quite a good deal. If you go on eBay and you find some of these servers that have a decent amount of RAM, a lot of times they are not valued for the RAM that's in them as much as the servers themselves. So I was able to take most of the RAM out and and sell it (laughs) for almost um, the purchase price. So I ended up getting both these servers and each now has 96 gigs of RAM in it and each has two processors. And I think it was like $200 total for all said and done. So there's some deals to be had out there. Um, Just, you know, you got to look for them and you got to be careful. Sometimes some of these things on eBay are sketchy. Uh, now, now that I'm running them both and they're in a cluster, I can spread the load a little bit. And I, I've had for a while PFSense. I love PFSense. And I've been running it just in an old computer as a dedicated piece of hardware. And I ran into some performance issues when I'm trying to do some Veeam backups of my environment. Mostly because my I have like four main networks. These are VLANs and they're all broken up they're all managed by pfsense and they're all vlans on one gigabit network line and that like the the hairpin turn that those networks had to do to basically veeam was on one vlan my the actual vm i'm backing up was on a different vlan and the storage network that i'm backing up to was on a third vlan and this is great for security because I got only the right ports open and I have this all segregated, but it's horrible for performance. And it had to make all those hoops and make all those jumps through this one gigabit physical NIC. And it just could not handle it. And I, I would hit the backup button, Veeam would start churning and start backing up my VM. And then my network, my internet would drop out. Like the whole router would just kind of go dead <laughs> for a little while. So after a couple of times of doing that and figuring out what was going on, I realized I just have too complicated a network for this one NIC to handle. So I'm like, okay, let's virtualize PFSense. I've been wanting to do that anyway. And now that I have these new servers, it made a good opportunity. So I did not clone it. I uh, just went in PFSense, did a backup of the config, installed PFSense in a fresh VM um, on the new servers, and then imported the config. And that was a bit of a mess. It was difficult to do. I had to jump through a bunch of hoops um, to actually get it cut over. And then it, for whatever reason, it would not grab an internet connection going through the virtual connections. And now each of these servers has eight 
10 has 10 NICs. So four that come with the server, an additional quad gigabit, and then an additional two port gigabit card. So I've got a lot of ports to work with. So I'm giving each of those four networks that I'm trying to run out of my, on my lab in my house, I'm giving them each their own physical connection to my my switch which i've talked about before and that switch is breaking up the vlans and then doing what it needs to do with them so i should have plenty of power to run them each now and i am running my uh, cable modem into my switch now my plan with this pfsense project is to actually go high available so to actually set up yet another pfsense virtual image and on the second host so now I've got one running on each physical host and then set them up in a HA pair so that if one host was to go down or, or be down for maintenance or whatever, the other one would automatically take over and I would have redundant routers basically. And I, I've, I've seen, I do not have static IPs and I do not have multiple IPs available. And a lot of the documentation on PFSense says that you need to have that. But I did see some that says that you can do it with one public IP. And for the most part, my public IP, even though it is not static, it is assigned to me, DHCP, from my internet provider, it is very static-like. It is assigned to me for a very long duration, like years. So, and reboots and everything seems to maintain it. So I've, I've heard of people just entering that as if it was a static IP, as long as you get all the you know the IP and the subnet mask correct in the default gateway, and then being able to do this anyway. So I'm going to attempt that at some point. And so because of that, I needed to have the internet handoff from the cable modem go into both, um, both of my hosts, not just one. So I have my cable modem internet handoff going into my switch in a special VLAN that's just three ports, and it's dedicated for internet you know my it's called the isp network the isp vlan and it's dedicated just to break off and go to these two vmware hosts and then i have a line from you know from one of those going to each host and for whatever reason i could not get the the virtualized pf sense to grab an ip everything else was working fine all the vlans were working fine internally but it would not grab an ip from the cable modem and I would put it back to the original physical device and it would grab an IP right away. And I was rebooting the modem. I was just trying all the different stuff. I replaced cables, like maybe this is, you know, maybe this is a layer one problem. I, I messed with all the different possible settings I could think of in the switch. I started changing out the kind of virtual switches I was setting up in VMware. And uh, none of it was making a difference. Finally, I called my internet provider and said, hey, I did not give them the details of what I was doing because it's a little bit too, and it's an overshare. It's too much um, for just the, the tech that's on the other end of this call. So I just come, hey, I have you know a, a router and it's not getting an IP. I just switched, you know, and, and eventually they said, hey, it looks like your connection's not. It's showing hot, like it's too strong. I need to send a tech out, and I figured, okay, this can't hurt. But I did not expect it to fix the problem. The tech came out like, oh yeah, from whatever years ago. We still had a filter on there that was blocking the, the, the non-digital channels and it's, it doesn't need to be there anymore, but it's still there. And so he spent like an hour 
messing with the wires outside the house, inside the house, and got the signal nice and clean. He showed me on his little computer you know, that, that it all looks clean now. My bandwidth has not changed. My internet connection noticeably to me has not changed. But all of a sudden, uh, my virtualized PF sense gets an IP, no problem. So I guess the way he explained it is when your cable modem boots up, it's going to grab a connection and it can be in a very a variety of different frequency ranges. And if it gets assigned the frequency range that was too low, it would have been filtered and that's not compatible with the modem. So it may just be happenstance that because I'm rebooting this thing and, and changing the connection that it just happened to be jumping onto an incompatible frequency and getting rid of that filter fixed it. So nothing I would have ever guessed would have fixed this problem, but I'm glad it's working now and it's been rock solid ever since. So, and I went into Veeam right after this was set up, ran that same job without any configuration changes and it finished in like five minutes. So performance, and I can see inside PF Sense the various VLANs getting network use and it's fantastic. So I'm really happy with how that worked out. Excited to get it in HA at some point, but at this point, not a priority. If I need to do maintenance on it, I haven't tried it yet successfully, but I should be able to just vMotion uh, the PFSense box from one host to another without bringing the network down. But that is my list of things to try. All right, next I am looking at adding vSAN. So this is VMware's technology for a, a virtualized SAN. And it's come a long way from when I looked at it before. So it looks like it can now be done with just two hosts that have the storage on them. It used to be four, I think. But you do need a third host as a witness. And this is the one that basically kind of sits on the side and says, hey, I see both of these. And if one drops out, it's like, oh, I don't see that one anymore. And then the witness and the host agree because they can see each other that the new the, the, the SAN, you know, whatever ho host is available is now the master. So I, I am going to probably have to dust off one of the old HP um, 8300 Ultra Slims I have kicking around that used to be my VMware lab um, as a, a witness host. So this is not going to be anything special. It might not even have any storage on it if I can get away with it. Maybe just a USB stick um, and it'll probably only 8 gigs of RAM. So I'm hoping to get that set up soon as well. Now I am new to really spending any kind of significant time on Reddit and specifically the home lab and the sysadmin subreddits. And now that I'm on there, I'm actually jumping on the mountain biking one and some PowerShell and, and a couple other ones that seem interesting. I'd never really spent much time there and I'm slowly kind of getting involved and, and actually having a lot of fun hanging out there and, and responding to people's posts and posting my own stuff. The Home Lab subreddit is an amazing community. It's just the coolest people that are all just geeking out about having servers in their basements and garages and whatever. And so many people have such good setups. It's actually kind of just makes you jealous. But then there's people that just have, you know, humble posts and they talk about how you know, this is their first thing and their whole lab is a Raspberry Pi and, and just a regular router. And it's just awesome to see the community support all of it. No one's making fun of anybody. Everyone's kind of supporting and, and offering tips and advice and, and everything for everybody that's there. I, I love being part of that community. Um, I love geeking out with those people. The sysadmin subreddit is okay, but I am noticing a trend of a lot of negative posts. 
And it seems like most people just go to there to rant, which is great. Everyone needs an outlet. I actually have to stop myself from reading too much of the negativity because it really starts to rub off on you. I'm really not understanding it. So, and I've tried to post a few things kind of to my experiences that are less negative than other people's. But at the same point, I'm not trying to, you know, tell anybody, you know, what they're experiencing, what they're feeling isn't, isn't accurate because I'm sure it is. But what I want to ask you guys is, do you like working in IT? Shoot me an email, message me on LinkedIn, shoot me a, you know, a, a message or, or something on, on Twitter, um, Dustin at sysadminshow.com and at sysadminshow. And, and l- let me know, like, I just want to know, do you like working in IT? And if you want to give me a brief reason why, that's fine. Otherwise, just a yes or a no or a maybe. <laughs> um, because I'm interested to know, is it just most of the people that are vocal are the ones that are, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, we tend to share bad news more than good news. So maybe it's just a, po- a possibility that most people that are sharing just happen to be sharing the negative because of the motivation behind that. They just, you know, again, the rant, just trying to, you know, vent basically. Um, Cause I feel like, I mean, I love it. I love you know, 80% of my job is always, you know, parts of the job, paperwork, whatever you want to call it. Um, sometimes there's difficult customers or, or, you know, employees, depending on the kind of role that you have. But for the most part, I really love what I do and I enjoy getting up and going to work in the morning. And I want to know, if is that the norm? Is that what, at least for you guys, is that what you experience? So please, either way, I want to hear from you. I, don't know, I want to know what you think. Shoot me an email, Dustin at sysevanshow.com. So let's talk about your first IT job. This is session three of the IT Without a Degree series. It's definitely taking me longer than I expected to get through this series, um, but we'll see um, how it goes. I'm not really on a, on a particular timeline. This is just fun for me. So, and hopefully it helps some people. And I've heard from some people that it's been helping. So, um, hopefully it continues to help. Without a degree, you are going to need to go above and beyond to show desire and intention to enter the IT field. Um, Employees are really looking for safe bets and the college degree often ends up being, unfortunately, a filtering tool. If you're in a hiring situation and you're looking at people and one of them has put in a two or a four year degree, let's say we're looking at entry level positions and somebody else has just a high school degree and no further education from there, what's going to make you consider them, right? Put yourself in their shoes because one, you know, one person has kind of proven, Hey, I really want to work in it. I'm going to study for two years to try that. Right. The other person's like, I'm going to study for four years to get into that. Now, when I'm looking at entry level, I actually look at the two-year degree with a little bit more interest than the four-year degree because I'm worried that the four-year degree is going to want to jump ahead faster than I can move them ahead, which means they're going to come, you know, work with me, get lots of training, get lots of abilities, you know, experience, and then leave. In that case, more college sometimes can work against you. But no college isn't a problem. You just need to be intentional about the way you go about it. And your best bet to get, you know, to get in there to get um, your foot in the door is to ask people you know, 
even just in passing, you know, these do not have to be well, you know, best friends, even just in passing, if there's any openings they know of, because the warm handoff, you know, the, the contact, even just, a, you know, a, in passing is going to be better than the cold call because filling out applications online is not going to get the job done. It's going to be very difficult to get in the door that way. People like your dentist, your banker, right? A car dealer, right? People, if you're at a garage sale and you, you know, you're talking to people there, like anybody, I'm, I'm really talking about people at your church, like any kind of community group that you're a part of, people that you go mountain biking with, people, right? <laughs> that you know on LinkedIn. And that's really the thing. Be active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the professional community um, social media platform. So there's lots of social media platforms out there. There's great ones to be on. But everybody who's interested in getting into IT and probably any industry really needs to have a LinkedIn account. There's real, there's no excuse not to at this point. And it's not that you, can get, you can't get a job without one, but you're just not going to have as many options. And when you're trying to get into IT with no degree and potentially no experience, you need options. Create an account, make it accurate. You're, you, you've got your high school experience, have that on there. That's your most recent up-to-date experience. And then what did you do in high school or since high school that's IT related? Put it on there. Have you created your own website? Have you built your own computer? Were you, you know, in some sort of tech club, right? Did you do any kind of like BOCES work? I, I was part of um, a BOCES program in my senior year. So half the day I went to regular high school and half the day I went to a, a BOCES school that taught me about computer networking. That stood out. That helped me, you know, get a little bit farther ahead when I'm trying to go after uh, jobs without a degree. This is how companies vet employees. When they're looking at the, the people to consider from the applicants and the names they have to consider, they're going to be typing those names into LinkedIn and doing background checks and checking out, okay, what have this person done? How seriously are they taking their career? Do they have anything suspicious on there, right? Or do they have anything concerning on their LinkedIn profile? You'll notice if you spend some time on LinkedIn, there's a lot of people that have this like hashtag or this little subtext open to work or open work, I guess is what it is. I don't know that much about it, but I do not recommend it. It comes across probably as a little bit desperate and sometimes they even have it on there when they have a job. I guess you're trying to get a better one, but you want to come across as somebody who knows what they want and is going to go after and get it. You're not trying to attract people. You're trying to show people who you are. You don't need to kind of like, I, I see that almost like a begging, like you're begging for people to send you work. And it, it's not the, in the place of strength, right? You want to come from a place of strength. So just have a normal professional looking photo up there. That's important. Not a picture of, you know, some weird social situation or of an animal or you and, a, you know, a spouse or, or you know, or a friend or something, just you and a professional photo, All right? That's pretty easy to get these days. And then there's a spot for description. What are your intentions? State in there, right? Take a couple paragraphs. This is not, right, your life story, but just state in a couple of sentences there what your passion is and, and speak, right, authentically. Say, I am I am, you know, a, a tech nerd. I'm interested in all things technology. I'm interested in getting started in the IT field and aim small, right? Aim small. Like I'm interested in getting started. Like not like I want to become, a, you know, an IT, you know, CEO or I want to start my own tech firm. 
if that's true, then you're probably not going to get hired. You're going to go start your own thing. So just be authentic and start small. And just like, I am looking for experience in the IT field, right? I'm interested in getting right experience in customer service or, you know, desktop support or call center, right? These kinds of things that are going to help people say, hey, this person's interests and passions line up with what we're looking to do. Put down your experience. And as we go through this, hopefully you will be able to add more experience, including volunteer positions. Next step, once you've got your LinkedIn started, and then you'll keep that up to date. That's important. That's as important as the resume going forward. Just remember that if it's on the resume, it's on the LinkedIn and keep them both current. Um, And then just be active in LinkedIn, looking for people in the industry, maybe specifically in your geographical area and start connecting with them. It's not you, know, you don't want to just connect with people in mass, but it's not unheard of and it's not rude to connect with people that you don't specifically know that you have an interest in knowing, right? It's not completely creepy. I connect with people all the time and they're happy to connect back. And then we start these conversations and then sometimes I have them on as podcast guests and I never would have talked to that person. And, and it's basically, it's based off, I look after certain Um, subjects, right? So in LinkedIn, it's kind of like other social media platforms where you can look for hashtags and you can find, you can follow certain other groups um, like Microsoft and and all PowerShell and all that kind of stuff. So if you find those things and just start seeing people post about those things, and then as they post, you can like their posts and put comments in on their posts, which then they get to see you there and then just invite them and say, Hey, can I connect with you? Do you mind? That's very natural and it's not creepy and I don't think it's off-putting. People do that to me and I do that to other people. There are going to be a lot of people, apparently from India and maybe some other countries, that are just marketing people that want to try to get you work and they or, or give you training and um, just ignore them. Um, <laughs> I started out thinking, oh, this is interesting and was accepting them. Like, okay, it never stops. They just keep going and going and going. So. There are a couple scammers out there. There are some just general marketing people. Take some time and think about who you accept. If people start um, inviting you, which it will happen as you get active in there, people start inviting you. So click on their profile and read a little bit. Is this a real person or is this like a a, a bot or something or just a, somebody who who doesn't really want to have an authentic conversation and just want to sell me something? It's an awesome place to get some connections. And those are the kind of connections that can help you get that first job because those are people that are working either they're hearing about jobs um, at other places or they're working in a place that may have an opening at some point next is to look at temp agencies in your area and this is actually how i got my start so i worked for kelly services is a temp agency in my area and i went in there looking for any kind of work including factory and i ended up doing some factory jobs initially they had an opening for an it job that was Microsoft Access. I had never heard of it before, never used it, but I looked at the requirements, went home, installed it, studied, right, learned as much as I could, came in, and what they do is they can help you with the placement and the skills because they do vetting. So they will bring you in and say, okay, you need to take this test to place for this position. And so they sat me down, kind of like if you're testing for a certificate, or certification and said, okay, you, you know, you're going to sit at this computer for the next 30 minutes and they're going to ask you questions about Microsoft Access. And depending on how you do, you'll get this job. And because I had studied like the weekend before and just learned as much as I could in a cram session, 
Um, I did well enough to get the job and then I learned the rest as I went. Sometimes you do have to fake it till you make it. And it's very few companies are hiring you at the entry level position for what you know. They're hiring you for what you, right, for your customer service skills and what you can learn. As long as you are willing to learn, you're in good shape. Register with more than one temp agency if if the you know the one you started with isn't isn't finding you anything. This may not be the best job out of the gate, but if you already know some IT stuff, if you're coming in with some Word and Excel knowledge, right, maybe you can get something a little bit better, but maybe you'll get put in a call center. But at least it's something that has right, it's an IT related job. Um, even if it's a call center. That's showing directionality, that's showing intention, that's showing that you're going to do whatever it takes to get your foot in the door. And this is only your first job, so don't be too picky about it. Don't be too worried about it. Pretty much any job that you won't hate is what you're looking for. You know, you're not going to love the call center job. You're going to be reading off of a script. A lot of mental attitude comes into here. <laughs> so you, you can choose to hate any job. Right? I, I've had jobs working in factories where I was building batteries. And this is overnight shifts, so 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. working, you know, around some people that were, you know, the best influence, as I would say. It was easy to not like that job, but I actually kind of loved it because it gave me purpose. It gave me, you know, some fuel to say, I can do better than this. I want to get out of this kind of job. How do I do that? What do I need to do? Volunteer positions are, are great, too. Um, if you can find a volunteer position again through a church, a lot of times there's openings there where they can do something, you know, they, they, they need help and you can do some sort of technical role for them and help them fix some problems. And their expectations are going to be kind of low because you're working for free. And hopefully they have somebody there there that can kind of show you the ropes and get you started. And then as you get better, you'll be more proficient and then put that on LinkedIn, put that on your resume and, and keep going forward with that kind of stuff. You'd be amazed. Pretty much every organization relies on computers now. So at one point I was thinking about the local dog shelter near my house and I'm like, you know what? I think they really need, like they must have a bunch of computers, right? They're checking people in, they're you know keeping a database of the animals. And I was thinking I wanted to give back and I thought about, I wonder if I should go ask them if they need help with IT and if I could volunteer there. There's just so many of those kinds of organizations around that you just got to kind of think outside the box, like a fire department. I've actually had a buddy who works at a fire department who's been asking for IT help and I've helped him a little bit here and there. Roll up to your fire, local fire, depart, fire department, fire station and say, hey, looking to get some experience in this and I have some technical abilities. I'm interested if you guys need any help to you know, do the research and help you out and make some recommendations. You're going to be outside of your depth pretty quickly, but then you're going to catch up. You're going to, you know, you're going to fake it till you make it and you're not going to do anything dangerous, right? You're going to tell them, I'm not going to make any changes or do anything to break anything, you know, unless I'm confident in what I'm doing. But it's hard to get started without a problem to solve. And there's lots of places out there that have problems to solve. And then that becomes experience that you can put on a resume. So this will be minimal pay, right? You're probably going to make the same as somebody making $15 an hour working at McDonald's. but you're not flipping burgers and McDonald's does not bring you where you want to go, right? It could pay the bills, nothing wrong with that. But what you want to do is get something that says you have IT experience and you have the intention of going after, you know, more IT career path direction. You want to be somewhere where you're getting that experience and you're showing that direction. And the experience that you get 
will be invaluable. So think about this like college. College, you pay for the experience, right? In this situation, you're actually getting paid and you're still getting experience. And I would say the experience that you get in these situations because you're solving real world problems is better than the experience that you get in college. College, you will learn about tools that you wouldn't have learned about otherwise, right? You'll learn about best practices, but you're not gonna get that hands-on experience, right? College really prepares you to learn, kind of preps you for, you know, improves the ability to learn, but it does not give you that hands-on experience, especially a two-year degree doesn't have as much time to give you like uh, the, the, the working programs where you go out and work for a semester or anything like that. Ultimately, this is about work getting as much experience as possible as fast as possible. You want to be a sponge and you want to let other people teach you as much as you can stand as much as they can teach. So if there's opportunities to come in without pay after hours, take it. This is the time that you can, things that you learn at this stage can leapfrog you over maybe even a tier one desktop to position to a tier two or a tier three later on. Now, a lot of that depends on how much you're doing outside of work, outside of all this, right? Are you doing a lab? Are you practicing things? How much time are you willing to dedicate to this? Because I can tell you a lot of my, I mean, I started when I was in high school, but a lot of my twenties before I, you know, kind of met my spouse and got married and all that stuff and started having kids, it was spent on computers and building a lab and installing server OSs and installing VMware and just leveling up. I loved it because I didn't have any commitments. I didn't have anybody right that I had to spend time with or do anything with. And I still hung out with friends as well. So I wasn't just, you know, out of the loop, but I just loved taking the time to level up and then as I got farther in my career and farther in my life and where then I had a, a spouse that I wanted to spend time with and I then had kids that I want to spend time with, my time at home, right, my free time has become less and less. And at this point, I'm still doing stuff, but it's, it's few and far between. And that's one of the reasons why the podcast is so few and far between is because I'm going to put my family before my career at this point, because my career is to a point where, you know, I'm not trying to level up as much as I was before. And that comes and goes. There are periods I just spent, you know, this time last year, I went for security and got my CISP. So that was a, a good month of my life that was a level up month. And I spent every night for two weeks, um, you know, studying and, and in the, you know, quote unquote lab, right? Most, mostly in the book and taking practice tests and stuff. And, and that made a difference, but it's very, it's much less than it was. But I love the fact, looking back, that I spent that time when I did because I could afford it, right? I had that time to spare back then. I couldn't, I would have a very difficult time spending that time now, justifying that time now. So I'm kind of thanking my, my younger self, right, my, <laughs> for, for doing that. And, and you really need to have an open mind. And it, even if you know, something right let somebody teach you because they may show you a different element so let them talk right just listen and, and learn it's so cool take notes um you know whether digitally or with a notepad um amazingly enough i've struggled to take digital notes um to this day it's still difficult taking notes with a notepad is just easier for whatever reason and early on what you're looking for 
is things you've never heard of before, right? Technologies, acronyms, <laughs> right? Um, things that you need to research in your after hours. So take notes and then go home, pull out your notepad, review them, Google them. What does this acronym mean? What's the context of this statement? Somebody's like, hey, we got to check on our DR environment. Like, okay, what's DR? Sometimes it's appropriate. And it is when you're starting out to ask those questions from your colleagues, because there's no you know, reason to pretend like you know everything. But there's times when you're maybe you're in a big meeting and you don't understand everything and it does not make sense. It is not appropriate to interrupt the meeting to get definitions, right? Because you're not the focal point of the meeting. You're just there to listen. Then it's on you to take all those things you didn't understand and look into them and then start researching them. And then any technologies you're using at work or you've just heard of that your coworkers are saying are awesome that you should look into, go home and look into them. Any, a lot of these things, because a lot of this is software now, not hardware, is available for at least a demo. So go home, demo it, try it. A lot of it has a free tier. So it's beyond the demo. It's unlimited free tier for one person or for business, personal use or whatever. Then you can just play with it. I mean, a Amazon Web Services has that. Azure Cloud has that. They have free tiers where you can build websites and host things on their cloud for free for quite a, a long period of time or indefinitely so that you can learn some stuff. And then there's a ton of people that have tutorials about how to take advantage of that and how to learn on that. So you do not need to have a huge budget and take on any special projects if offered. And a lot of times special projects come around once in a while, like really special projects like a, like a server rebuild or a, a, um, a, a network, you know, swapping out network devices. Sometimes, you know, wireless access points. Sometimes these things only get upgraded every five or six years. So if that kind of stuff comes up, you better jump on that then and say, hey, yeah, I'm willing to put in the hours. You don't have to pay me if you don't, you know, if that's okay. Sure, if they're willing to pay you to do it over time, take it. That's great. But if they don't want to invite you because they're worried about paying you, then say, hey, I will, I will work for the experience. I'm, I see this as a value add for me. I will work just to be part of the experience. That also shows that you're taking your career seriously and people are going to like to see that. And then you can put that in the resume. Hey, I helped. Right. I was I assisted a wireless you know, infrastructure upgrade. I assisted a, <laughs> a server upgrade. You're not going to take credit for something you didn't do. Right. You didn't do it yourself, but you assisted. And that's cool. And you just will have seen and learn a ton through that. You need to set your self-identity as an IT person. And this takes some time. Right. A lot of us, even after years, decades in the IT profession, we have imposter syndrome. And I've talked about this before, and I actually see this on Reddit all the time too. Imposter syndrome is the idea that you are in a position that you're not qualified for, right? That you don't do, you know, that you aren't skilled enough for the job that you have. You know, this is not unusual. Don't be surprised if this sneaks up on you. Again, we are not paid for knowing everything. That's impossible. There's too much, but we can figure it out. And we have to be realistic about how long it takes to do that and what we need to get the job done. This will go away. Well, it won't go away, but this will become stronger over time, right? So over time, as you get successes, as you, as you fix people's problems, as you complete some projects, right, you will start to self-identify as an IT person. It's an awesome feeling. I love my identity as an IT person. I love that my kids' identity of me as an IT person. And just the other day, one of my kids, you know, I was fixing something, had nothing to do with IT. 
something electrical in the house. And the, the you know, my, my kid's just like, dad, I love that you're, you know, that you work with computers so you can fix stuff. I'm like, that's awesome. Right. That warms my heart. I am proud, right. Of my career. I'm proud of my chosen field. That is something that you need to, to work towards and consciously make an effort of and say, Hey, even though I don't have the job yet, even though I'm volunteering, I am an IT person, right? And that's going to show through in your personality and the way that you talk about yourself and the way that you talk about your hopes and dreams, and that's going to help you get a job. So don't discount that. it also help remove common excuses like I'm not, you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't know enough. I haven't, you know, been doing this long enough. Those excuses don't count. The excuses can slow you down, but they can't stop you. What stops you is you... <laughs> you know, get you give up. That's the only thing that can stop you. Stay at least 12 months in this first job unless you absolutely hate it. There are toxic situations out there. So if you accidentally got yourself into a toxic situation, right, give you two weeks and quit if you can afford to do so. Otherwise, line up something else and then quit. Whatever you got to do there, you know, and if it's really toxic, then maybe you can't give you two weeks, but it's going to look better if you do. It's important to know. Uh, and this goes for any any position, any, any level. Like you don't owe an employer anything. And I know that there's a lot of times that people feel guilty for leaving an employer. Like they're you know somebody else just quit and they really need the help and everyone's behind. If that's the case, there's probably a reason why, and it's probably a management situation. So you can't own that. You can't take that on yourself. You have to look out for yourself. Your career is in your hands. It's not in your company's hands. Your company will probably change a couple times throughout your career, if not more. And you need to be doing what's best for you. And if you're in a bad situation, then do the right thing for you. Again, if you can afford it, put in your two weeks and then work your two weeks. That is the standard. That is appropriate. So if you put in two weeks and then work your two weeks, and sometimes in IT, they don't want you to work two weeks. So they will pay you to leave right away because of the security related to your position, but it depends on how the relationship is set up. Either way, if you offer to put in two weeks, you're doing what's right for you and you're doing right by the company by doing that. Don't feel like you're letting somebody down and that you know they, they owe you it or you owe it to them. Definitely take note of what you liked and don't like about this position, right? About this first position, right? You want to be using this to help sculpt and shape what you want your next position to be. And that's what we're going to talk about in session four next time. Um, stay positive and stay customer service focused, right? Focus on what you can control. Don't focus on what you can't. A lot of times, if you're in a call center or you're in a customer service position, like a, a, a help desk position, you're going to have more work than time. That is pretty much stand, status quo. Don't think about, hey, there's six people on hold right now. I'm freaking out. Focus on the person that you are helping. You're on a call with somebody. You can't help two people at once. Spend time with that person and help them properly. Don't rush through it. Give them a little bit above and beyond right? customer service. Just be friendly and whatever's within the realm of what you're supposed to do in the position. And especially if, if you're working with internal customers, right, fellow employees, ask them some personal questions like, hey, you know, I see you got a picture of a dog there. Can you, you know, can you tell me a little bit, you know, what's your dog's name, right? Get to know them a little bit and build that rapport. That's going to go a long way in the future when you need to do things that they don't like, like mandatory password changes, right? And pushing out some new technology that maybe isn't hugely popular on like two-factor authentication, right? 
you need to build relationships and you need to find a way to stay positive, right? If you're in a help desk and you've got a hundred tickets behind and, and you're only closing out, you know, one or two a day because they're tough and they're big or whatever, don't freak out. That's not on you. That's again, that's on management to say, Hey, we need more bodies in here to fulfill the demand. You can only close out the tickets. You can close out work on them one at a time, and then stay positive and say, hey, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing what I'm being paid to do. I'm kicking butt. I'm doing awesome. And take the wins and focus on them, right? Sometimes there's going to be there's going to be losses, right? There's going to be negatives. You're not going to be able to fix a problem or you're going to make something worse, right? You accidentally deleted a file or crashed a computer, you know, in the work that you were doing. This happens as part of IT. We do not always make things better. There are some best practices to help avoid that, right? Like before you connect to a user's computer or work with them, say, hey, save and close everything you've got going on, right? I don't want to accidentally, you know, cause you to lose work. Um, stuff, you know, just simple stuff like that. Ask people, hey, I'm about to, you know, reinstall Windows on your computer. Do you have a backup for these data? How about your photos, right? How about your documents? Oh yeah, I forgot about the documents, right? Like, do you have all your... Shortcuts saved, right? These little details, people love it when they get a new computer and all the stuff that they had in the old one is in the same place on the new one, right? You copied over their desktop shortcuts and their browser short favorites and their photos and their music and stuff. And it's just such a good customer service experience. That's gonna really win people to your side and, and show that the group that you're working with or the department that you're working with or the team, even if it's volunteer, right, cares. We actually care. And we are an IT group that likes what we do and we're proud of what we do and we take the time to do it right. And that's hopefully going to keep you away from the negativity that I'm reading in those other Reddits. And never consider any work beneath you or too menial for you to do. I have done everything. I've started out work, you know, working at like a box store, sweeping floors, right? uh, just in a warehouse, moving things around, again, like building batteries. Um, I've, I've done roofing. So I don't believe there's anything that is beneath me. If you're paying me to do it, sure, there's opportunities where things are outside of your job description, but that's not what we're talking about here. For the most part, I'm willing to do anything. If you're paying me, right, my current rate to go move some boxes around or or walk something down the hall or drive to a job site, I don't mind that you're going to pay me a, a high rate for a menial task. Sure, I'll I'll drive somewhere and listen to a podcast on the way. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to do that. I love that the culture of, hey, we're all in this together. Sure, certain, you know, roles have certain responsibilities. But at the end of the day, nothing is beneath any of us and we're willing to do it. And a lot of that comes from management, but it comes from every level. I find myself, right, we've got a cage where we've got a lot of equipment and that cage gets messy, right? And there's just equipment where we're working fast and everything. We don't have a chance to clean it up all the time. And there's just, you know, printers and cables and stuff all over the place. One of my favorite things is to go in there and spend a couple hours and clean it up. I don't do this all the time. And that's not really at my level, but in, in a lot of ways it is because I'm showing the team that I'm a team player and I just enjoy cleaning stuff up. It's, it's very satisfying work and it needs to be done. And there's a lot of weird equipment in there that only I know what it is because I've been around for so long and I'm like, oh, that can go in recycling. That can go in recycling. Oh, we need to save this because this is the only cable that can do this, 
right? So set this aside and label it. If I'm setting up, if I happen to be setting up a new computer for somebody and I get there and the, and the desk is a mess, I'm going to go get some wipes and I'm going to wipe that desk down and get the dust off there. Is that my job? No. Am I a janitor? No. But I want the person that comes and sits down at this desk, probably a new hire, to sit down at a clean desk and have a clean computer, right? A brand new looking right, keyboard and mouse that doesn't have any gunk on it to say, hey, right, this company values me. They, you know, they, they took the time to set up my station to make it look good. You know, I feel valued as an employee. I, I like already, right, first experience out of the box. I like working for this company. And that's going to help employer retention, right? And you're doing your job as an IT person, but you're making a difference across the whole organization. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Got a little carried away there. So no one's going to do the legwork for you. You've got to get out there. And some of these things I told you are not going to be easy to do. And they're going to be maybe a little bit embarrassing or kind of intimidating. But that's what we're talking about, right? You've got to get outside of your comfort zone and, and just do it, right? I, I don't need, I don't do side work anymore. And I don't need side work anymore. But I was buying carpet just a, like two months ago. I was buying carpet and I noticed, you know, when I was in the store, it looked like their systems were kind of like out of date and like kind of a mess. I'm like, hey, who's your IT person? Like I do IT on the side. Do you need somebody like, can we work on a deer hill here? Can I get a free carpet if I like do an upgrade for you? And sometimes I just like to do it. So I would be willing to do that, even though it's not really um, a, a, a part of my career that I'm pushing anymore. And it's like, you know what? Actually, we, we have a guy, but we don't like him and we're looking for somebody. <laughs> they never ended up calling me back and it's fine. Um, but they were open to the conversation and, and that got, you know, that kept me kind of um, comfortable having those conversations, right? It was good practice, even though it didn't go anywhere. So just get comfortable having those conversations. It should not be awkward to offer technology services to people that have potential problems. You never know. You could be um, doing them a real favor and making an opportunity for yourself. Um, stay focused. Um, you do not want to look like a flight risk. So you want to look very consistent and intentional. So that's why stay at a company for at least 12 months. Anything less than that looks, you know, like you're jumping around and a couple of those in a row, couple jobs that are less than 12 months does not look good. Volunteer positions are different, um, but we're talking about paid jobs. And if you can stay for two years, that's even better, but you're probably not going to want to when you're first getting in the door because the job's not going to be the kind of job that you want to stay at. But we'll get into that in the next session. All right, my final tip here is express only your short-term goals. So hopefully you have some long-term goals and maybe they're not well-defined yet. And that's part of this process is defining them with experience because you're not, you can't, it's hard to know what you don't know and it's hard to know what you want until you try stuff. Keep your goals that you express to people in the short-term and say, hey, all I'm looking for, right? Or I am looking for, let's keep it, right? And keep it concise. I am looking for, an entry-level IT position where I can get experience and knowledge, right? And I'm willing to spend, you know, one to two years in that position as I learn more and find out where, you know, what I want to do in IT, right? But keep it all concise. Like I want to work in IT. I'm not sure exactly where yet. I'm, you know, I have, you know, X, Y, and Z experience, but no college, but I'm willing to do anything in IT and I'm willing to, you know, commit to that for one to two years. That's what people are looking for. That's going to say, hey, this person, you know, even though they don't have all the experience of this other candidate, 
they're willing to take a little bit less pay because of that less experience maybe. They're probably going to stick around longer because they want it more, right? Or they need it more or whatever. And that is it for today's show. I want to hear from you. Any questions or just to say hi, remember, I want to hear, do you enjoy working in IT? Yes or no? And any notes you want to send me on that would be great. Send emails to Dustin at sysadminshow.com. Find me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at sysadminshow. Until next time, I encourage you to never stop learning. The music in this episode was created by Ian Mazak.